This is the first installment of the LPI study group. This session was recorded June 8, 2011. If you're interested in following along, the reading assignments are posted on the Linux Basics forum. The URL is www.linuxbasics.com. That's Linux Basics, L-I-N-U-X-B-A-S-I-X.com. The sessions will run from June 8th to August 31st. All are welcome to attend and to participate. We meet every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time online using the Mumble client. Again, all the details can be found on linuxbasics.com. Why don't we just start opening it up to general questions first and pretty much taking it from there, and we'll see what, how this goes. So does anybody have any questions? Yeah, okay, I'll, I guess I'll start with the first one. I guess uh, if you look on page, I think it's 85 there, uh, the shell variable basics. Uh, I've wondered, uh, they, they're talking about the PS1, the prompt string, I'm wondering if you guys use this or if there's any practical use for changing how your prompt string looks. I know I'm getting how it's done, and but I just can't understand why it would be useful to change it. I'm wondering if you have a practical example or anybody. Well, I have an example. Well, sometimes, say you're SSH into like a, a few different systems. You might want to um, change your prompt string to reflect your like the host name, normally it does, but a lot of people actually customize that prompt string to say put in the time and uh, and other variables, but uh, I typically don't. Yeah, I guess that now that makes a bit more sense. Yeah, definitely. If uh, if you're uh, SSH'd into many different machines, you could have unique things about each machine in there. Yeah, I guess that's one really good example, actually. Apparently, the page numbers are different. In the PDF version compared to the, the book, because on my 85, page 85, it's talking about sort. <laughs> but no, it's uh, page 65, I guess. Okay, okay. But yeah, um, that, that definitely is a good example. But, you know, just to be able to add different information, you know, whatever the options are, you know, some people may not want, for whatever reason, their home path or whatever, but or the, the current working directory, but I, or you know, whatever, you know, it's showing, but I, I think it's, that's, that's a good example for me. Uh, anyone else have any questions? I got one. I think it's on page 66. I'm sorry, I'm in the PDF version on my screen, so I'm not really sure exactly what page it is. About exporting a variable to a, a child shell versus the parent shell. Did anybody else get hung up on that for like 20 minutes like I did? I understand what it's saying. If you have another shell, then you can export it so that every all the shells can see it, if you will. Hey, you know, actually, I had a real a real life run in with exactly this, where I thought um, I could like set a, a, a environmental variable. I could then have another program running in another shell executed entirely separately would be able to read that as long as they, you know, as long as they were, uh, you know, contemporaneous while the export was on. And what I ended up learning the hard way that exporting only affects the child shells that you create from the current shell. So if you have two, you know, you have to save to a file if you want to communicate from one shell application running on one to the other or, you know, RPC or whatever. You cannot send a 
environmental variable into some sort of, I don't know, generic key value data store where other shells that you open subsequently can have happily find it and stuff like that. And that's the way I thought it worked <laughs> until, that's until exactly. I actually re- – oh, sorry. Go on, like said. No, that's ex- I was just going to say that's exactly what I was getting at because I, I was sitting here at my terminals playing with it, and I thought it was going to be on any of the shells that I did. I did have running because I had like three or four shells running trying to play with different things and, and so on, and it that totally screwed me up. I had to start a shell in the same – it was only a child shell in that instance, not across all the instances. And was that your intuition as to how it worked? When I read through it, my first impression of it was that it was going to be through all of the instances of my shell. I'm running GNOME, the old GNOME still, so you know I have uh, you know just the standard terminal window open, and I open up two different terminals. I thought I should be able to use the same variable in both of those. That's not what they were saying. And they're right. <laughs> exactly, that, but that's not what I got, and... You know, if if you guys didn't play with it, uh, you might have even missed that. That's you know the only reason I caught on to it was because I was sitting there and like I said, it took me like 20 minutes of trying to figure out. Okay, did I type the command wrong? Did I do something wrong? Kept going back and forth at it, looking at the you know looking at my commands and everything else before I finally realized. And when you type in bash, that opens up a child shell underneath your current shell, which then is able to access the variable. Right, if you notice, it does say a child shell, and you're right, a lot of people might miss that. It says, uh, now we spawn a subshell or child process. My intuition was exactly like yours. So, so you know what I mean? It was like one of those things that I, I definitely, it's not like I have never accessed environmental variables before, but I had no idea actually of the mechanisms involved, and it was really, it was really interesting learning specifically how that all worked. So, uh, just to... I kind of understand what the, what the conversation here is. If, let's say I have the terminal open right now and I export a variable, only anything that I spawn from the current shell will have that variable. Is that what you're, you're saying there? Correct. Correct. And that's what tripped me up because it, child process to me, it didn't quite equate when I, to only if you spawn it from that particular shell. I thought, all the shells that I was doing was the child processes, and when I exported a variable, it would go to available of all shells that I was running from from this term from that. Uh, in, uh, shoot, what am I trying to say? Okay, so let's say I'm in the command line and I type in env, and that will list all my variables. How do I change those though? Because those are universal, right? Because those variables in there should work for for everything, right? Right when when you set a variable on the command line, like they uh, they have a instance of my var equals hello. You can echo that, and it obviously types it out. If you start up another bash instance, unless you export that variable first, it won't be available to you. And you'd have to start the next bash instance from within your current terminal, which would make it a child process. But I, I can see that that was probably by design, because let's say you want to run a command on two different directories, for example, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to take some time, or maybe not two directories, but two different, you know, to do two different things at once uh, with variables. You may not want that, you may want to reuse that variable name, but not have it interfere 
So that's why you have to specifically export it, if that makes sense. I actually kind of missed that as well, to be honest, because I guess when I got down to his size, you know, it was talking about multiple shells and windows, and I guess that's what I was thinking of, but that that would be what I think the reason why they do it that way. I wholeheartedly agree. It just, that's, like I said, that's one thing that if you just kind of skipped over it or glazed over it, you might not have caught. And like I said, it took me 20 minutes just reading, you know, going back and through and making sure I was doing the steps right to catch on to what they, what they actually said. Well, there's some good questions so far. Okay, um, let's see, you guys ready to kick this off for the review questions? Sure. Alright, I'm just going to do them in order. Uh, the first one was, describe the difference between shell variables and environment variables. Okay, I think uh, this is exactly what I was uh, thinking about before, was that uh, when you type uh, ENV and you get a list of variables, I think from what I always understood that those were universal across the board, but then when you do shell variables, that's the ones, what we're doing where you export them from one shell to a child shell. I think that's how I always understood it, and that's why I'm kind of confused about all this. That's the way I understand it as well, and it's good to understand it, especially when you're trying to do uh, different scripts and and things where you might open a couple different shells and you need to know how to export those and you also need to know the difference between what's going to be across all of your shells or all of the instances automatically and what you have, would have to uh, export or what you would have to use only in that particular instance of Bash. That was a subtle thing that has, has bit me in the real world. No, thank you for pointing that out, man. Good looking out, Liz. That... Yeah, the... Uh... Yeah, first question is describe difference between shell variables and environmental variables. Yeah, yeah, who wants to start the second question then? Okay, compare and contrast built-in and explicitly defined commands and those found in path. Alright, well I know the uh, built-in commands, those are going to be uh, listed in a variable that you can use set, if I'm not mistaken, to, uh, you know, it and it looks through all the command, you know, it, looks, it checks all those paths, and then you can define commands by typing them in, and then there's commands uh, by, uh, by typing the path out, and then if the command is where you are in the current working directory, then you can just run it from there by typing in its name. Does that sound right? Yeah, I'm not so sure I even understand what they're trying to ask us there. So uh, basically, path has all the directories that contain binaries so that instead of doing user bin less or ls, you can just type in ls. And if you want to, you can add different directories into your path so that you can just use like basically shortcuts to, to all your commands, right? I think so. I didn't quite understand that last thing you said, but I think so. Well, I, I think another issue is where the commands are actually being run from. So if it's just a shell command, like, say, set, you're not going to have a binary file for set that's part of the shell, whereas if you're going to do, like, say, rm, there there is a rm binary file that will be found when you run rm. Yeah, that's exactly the distinction that they're looking for here. Uh, that you know the difference between, say, the CD command, you won't find that anywhere on your system. It's going to be built into Bash itself. And uh, any other command like LSRM, you know, that's in your path. 
and you need to know something that's not in your path, like in the current directory, you can tell it to look in dot slash for that binary. Just as an example, if you do uh, which, say which RM, it'll show you the uh, RM command where it's being run from. But if you do which set, there is no binary for that. That's just basically built into the shell, and it's not going to show you anything. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I this I had never I never even thought about thinking about this. It's just I don't know. It's, this is interesting. Another issue is just like on old DOS systems, if you had like a um, a com file and an exe file with the same name, which one will it execute first? That could be you know an issue too that that you know you want to know about. So like DOS, it would be like uh, the commands that are built into the kernel than the ones that are actually binaries? Right, exactly. And and not, not even so much the kernel, but the shell that you're using. So I, I would assume that the shell commands would be executed first. Then if it doesn't find that command in the shell as part of the built-in shell commands, then it starts to look along the path for the command that you type. So, and if you're using different shells, you're obviously going to, there's a potential of having different built-in commands, right? The bash is part of the Linux kernel, if I'm not mistaken, so you you should be able to find bash on any any Linux install, unless it's maybe tried to be removed or something, I don't know if it's possible. No, when I do a which bash, and it's telling me it's a, it's a binary that is in slash bin slash bash. Exactly. Okay, any more, or should I move on to the next one? I guess you can move on. I, I'm, I'm kind of getting this now. Okay. After a lengthy session of file manipulation on the command line, what will the bang ls command produce? I don't know. Is it the last time you ran? It will reproduce the last time you ran the ls command or something? Because I just typed it. I did uh, bang ls, and it did ls of a directory that I did before. So I'm wondering if that's it just uh, the last time you ran ls, it just repeats that command. I'm going to go with yes, because um, there's actually a small section, command history expansion designators, and it gives you the uh, four examples, which is the bang bang, the bang n, the bang dash n, and the bang string. So it would be the last command that you, or the most recent command that you ran. More specifically, uh, it's not actually looking at a command, it's not that smart. It's looking in the history for anything that started with ls. So if you happen to run ls mod, it would run that instead. Excellent, thanks for the clarification. So basically, if you do bang in with any string, it would run the, the last or the most recent version of that, or a string, whatever, whichever it hits first, it will run that. That's right, it looks in the, the bash history for that string. Now that's something very useful that I seem to have missed. Okay, the next one is, what program was the source for the default history editing key bindings in Bash? You said that's question four? Yes. We have and, a different one here. Oh, all right. Well, the answer to that question was Emacs, but what was your fourth question? What files does Bash read when you log in? Would that be the uh, Bash RC file? I think that's one. And then the profiles file, right? The, I think profiles, the, uh, the login one. Does someone care to, to explain that in more detail? Someone who knows. Well, Bash is actually looking at several files when you when you log in. 
uh, it's checking Etsy profile first of all because that controls everything for the system. Every shell that you run, uh, you want that in Etsy profile uh, if you want it to take effect. And after that, it's starting to read things in your home directory. There's home slash dot bash profile uh, for. There's a distinction between a login shell and a non-login shell. If it's a non-login shell, it's going to read home slash dot bash rc. But for the login shells, it's reading dot bash profile and less commonly bash login and, and home slash dot profile. Uh, it's it's kind of complicated just to hear it, but I do recommend you go read uh, the invocation section of the bash man page. It explains all this. I just put another link out there for people to check it out. Just as a heads up, uh, the notes that I'm putting on here are very, uh, I, I probably wouldn't pay too much attention to them tonight, but uh, I'm cleaning a lot of this stuff up tomorrow. I'm also going to put in that link that just showed up in uh, chat as well. The next question I have is explain the notion of pipes as they refer to shell capabilities and illustrate using an example of two or more of the filter programs. Well, I guess I'll start here. Uh, this is one that I use quite a bit. What I do a lot is I will cat file, so cat space and then file name, and then I'll pipe that through grep, and then I'll have a regular expression to filter out the lines with a certain name or in such, and then sometimes I will do do that twice or three times through uh, the results the result of one grep through another grep through another grep whatever, and then and then pipe that into a word count or the WC or or the grep space C I think or dash C that's another one that's uh, that's what I use it for I'm sure there's probably uh, more efficient ways of doing that but I find that very useful sometimes if you go through logs to to grab out certain lines and and the whole list of logs in the in the var slash log directory and actually, John, can I get you to put that, uh, put an example of that in the Google Docs? Yeah, and I guess another example, sort of along those same lines, would be like if you cat a file, and um, the file isn't uh, sorted, and you might want to sort that, so you would pipe it through sort, and then if you're only interested in unique occurrences, you would also pipe it through uh, the unique command. Yeah, exactly, and that's another one that I find very useful is a sort. It's sort uh, space dash u, and it will take out all duplicates of the of the result. Yeah, in the Google Doc there, I did a quick little uh, write up there. Basically, cat the file, pipe grep Linux, pipe grep test sort dash u word count dash l. That will give you basically. Oh no, I'll start over here. It will count the lines in the file that have Linux and test in the line. And then take all take out all duplicates. Okay, moving on to number six. Explain the dash p option to cp and give an example of why it is necessary. Yeah, this is the one I I found out yesterday. Actually, I I think this, this can be used for uh, make directory and all those. Is if you're copying uh, a file that is like four directories deep to somewhere else, but a few of those middle directories that don't exist in the other in the where you're copying them to, it will make those directories. And I think make directory does the same thing. If you make, let's say you only have a directory home, home username, but you want to do home username, A, B, C, all these different high level or deep directories, 
it will make all of them even if you just specify the one. Or I guess a better way to explain this would be that it will, if you create a, a directory that is a child and, and the parent doesn't exist, it will automatically create the parent. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving on to the next, give two examples of files matched by the wild card, which is the question mark, question mark, bracket, bang, one through five, uh, one dash five, and close bracket. Well, I'm not sure what the bang is, but I know the question marks are, uh, you know, uh, any but you know, it could be like A, B, and then uh, the one through five, I would think, is uh, a number, one through five. So, okay. So it would be anything that is not, I believe, one through five. Is that correct? So it would be like A, B, six, and um, A, C, seven, correct? That sounds correct to me. Actually, that's true, because under the uh, table uh, that I had here, common file naming wildcards, that's exactly the last example that it gives. It was match any single character from among the characters not in the range list between the brackets. Yeah, the thing that threw me off on that one was the, um, the bang character, which is, I guess, the not character, so that was a good catch. Oh, actually, good call on that. I wasn't sure. I just kind of worked it out and said, well, it's got to be what it is. I don't know what else. Because if it was outside of the bracket, obviously you'd be looking for that thing. Okay, moving on. Name the three standard input-output streams and their functions. I guess the input is, by default, your keyboard. That's one. Standard output is your screen. Secondary output is error, if I remember correctly. And the... Yeah, the defaults are those, uh, and you can uh, change the default or change the output to another file or any other any direction you want to go. I will take those answers. Uh, let me see. And also, there's there's actually a uh, a section under object for using uh, Unix streams, pipes, and redirects, and it's actually the second uh, section after the main paragraph. Um, okay, number nine. Give an example of the redirection operator and describe how the outcome would be different using the double arrow operator. Okay, I'll take that one. Well, the um, the greater than sign is the uh, output uh, operator. So say if you do a ls and you want to save the uh, output of the ls command, you just, it will use the greater than sign and you say, Redirect it to a, a file to save it for later. So you would say ls greater than sign and then say output text. But the uh, double greater than sign is actually if you want to have say a series of commands to append to one one big file, where the basically the double greater than sign appends. And the single greater than sign will just overwrite if a file already exists. All right. Nicely done. Anyone else want to add anything else before I move on? I was just going to say make sure you use the right one. Otherwise, you can cause yourself a heck of a lot of work. I've done that before. <laughs> I like to play without a net. <laughs> all right. Number 10. What process is the ultimate ancestor of all system processes? And give both the PID and the program name. Is this init and then one? I, th I think it's init and zero. 
Yeah, that might might be. Uh, Linux usually ends up starting from zero. No, you had it right the first time. It's one. Yeah, because isn't it init run level zero shutdown? No, these uh, wouldn't be uh, run levels. They're just uh, processes themselves, right? Yes. Uh, in fact, under processes, the the header for for that, it's um, actually the fifth item down process. Uh, parent process ID, the parent PID, and one is the PID of init. It sure is. All right, number 11. Name the three common utilities used for process monitoring. Uh, one is PS tree, and the other is PS, and the other one I'm not sure is at top. It is indeed. And the PS tree is the one I, I read in this, this book here that I never really used. But I'm starting to find that one very useful. Like if you guys put in, like type in PS tree, P-S-T-R-E-E, and hit enter, you get a tree of all the processes, like the parents and children, like very detailed, and you can see exactly which process spawned which other one, and it's really detailed. Actually, that's nice because it's funny. I generally use top myself. This is actually great because there are some, there are some programs that are using other processes that I'm not aware of. This is actually very cool. Okay, number 12. What happens to a typical daemon when it receives the SIG HUP, and how would the behavior be different if it received the SIG kill? I think the SIG kill is, is pretty obvious as far as it'll just kill the process. But I think SIG up, I'm not quite sure, but I think that just will reread the configuration file, if I'm correct. All right, it's a little confusing to me, but I'll read the definition of what it has here. Uh, it's the first example in the uh, uh, signal name. It's a hang-up. The signal is sent automatically when you log out or disconnect the modem. It is also used by many demons to cause the configuration file to be reread. There you go. You are correct, John. All right, next one. Compare and contrast background and foreground jobs and state the syntax to put a command in the background on the command line. Well, the command is um, running. It's initially, unless you tell it to, is going to be in the foreground. Um, and if you want to, you know, get it out of the way of your bash, so that way you can run other commands as well. You can put it to the background, and you do that with BG. You can also bring it back to the foreground with um, FG. And I think there's another way, but I can't remember what it is. Another way to put a uh, command in the background is to use a space and then an ampersand, and that will run it in the background. Yeah, that's the one I'm very familiar with is the ampersand, is especially if you're writing or if you do a bash script and you want to open up a, a program and leave it open, then you have to put the uh, ampersand after the command. Yeah, which is something I had to do with the program uh, on shared hosting recently because it, it really didn't want to run it in the background unless I forced it to run in the background with the... Um, the ampersand sign. Okay, next up. Explain the relationship between a process nice number and its execution priority. Uh, you'd have a different question here again, but we could actually just do you. I think yours is a very good question there. Sure. It says explain the relationship between a process's nice number and its execution priority. From what I understand, the higher the nice number, the the lower the priority as far as it being executed, and then the lower the nice number, the higher the priority in the in the execution. 
I've never used the nice command before, but let me give you the quick description of it here. The nice command is used to alter another command's nice number at start time. For normal users, adjustment is an integer from 1 to 19. If you're a super user, the adjustment range is from negative uh, 20 to 19. If an adjustment number is not specified, the process's nice number defaults to 10. The command consists of any command that you might enter on the command line, including all options, arguments, redirections, and the background character, the ampersand. If both adjustment and command are omitted, nice displays the current scheduling priority, which is inherited. So that is that's just if if you want to start a command, can you change the nice uh, value on the fly uh, when a program is running? Yes, you can, and that would be the re-nice command to change the uh, priority. Okay, so nice would do it uh, when you start the, the program and then if it's already running, re-nice. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, John, did you want to read the uh, other question? I figure we might as well just catch them all uh, so we're all under the same roof here. Yeah, so that would be uh, 14. Is uh, what two classifications of characters make up regular expressions? I know one is literal, and the other one is either meta something, because uh, you have the uh, the literal characters that you're trying to represent, and then then you have the symbols that are that represent kind of an action rather than the literal value of the the character. Okay, I'm gonna go with that for now. Uh, let's see. Let's wrap it up with the last question I had uh, for 16, which is. How are regular expressions bracket a dash z wild uh, close bracket wild card and caret bracket a dash z close bracket asterisk dollar sign different? Well, I think just looking at it with the uh, caret sign, that is saying that that regular expression has to be at the front of the um, of the uh, expression. And um, it also looks like the um, the dollar sign is matching the end, but but um, actually looking at them, it could be that they're actually the same. Would the uh, the first one without the carrot and dollar sign mean that if you find uh, a, any range from A to Z capitalized anywhere in the word, then the other one would be it would have to be carrot being the beginning and dollar being the end. The entire word would have to represent capital letters from A to Z. And then again, I'm not I'm not really good at regular expressions. I can never read them, and I don't really have a good example like to try because I don't know how would we quickly try this so that we could find out. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. It would be like you know A whatever A wild cards or, or B wild cards whatever, like B one or A three or A anything A. And the second one, of course, it would have to start. Yeah, but it could also be A123. The second one, well, I guess it's saying the same thing. Actually, I think the first one, you're right. It's anything that matches in between A through Z. But the uh, second one has to go in order. So if it finds a character first that begins with A, then it goes with that. Uh, if there's no A, then it'll go with the next one. Actually, I think the first one is um, anything that matches, anything that only has capital letters A through Z. So 
in all caps, uh, Alden is Zen, um, or uh, Bruce. And the second one is only going to, uh, well, it, it's going to match. Yeah, and then the second one, it, it's anything it, that would be like Bruce 1, 2, 3, or Bruce 2, or Bruce B, or Bruce lowercase b. And Alden is Zen stuck together, but Alden is Zen could be in any format. Or it could be Bruce, you know, one, two, three. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it to me, it just seems like this is one of the things I really need to practice on because, yeah, regular expressions can be kind of tricky unless you really do them all the time. All right, well, let me repeat one more time. The first one is anything in all caps that it's only letters in all caps. And then the second one, can anything that starts with all caps and then also has any other integers or, or letters after it but if it was if it started with lowercase then it would not find that or pick it up or if it starts with a number or anything like that I think I'm gonna have to look at that a little bit more closely we'll table that for now unless someone comes up with a, a better shot here I was just gonna say that we need to find a cheat sheet for regular expressions on in the bash shell. That would be perfect because then you could just quickly look things up. Because these are, for me, uh, regular expressions, like if I have a cheat sheet beside me, I'm looking it up, I can uh, write some pretty complex ones, but I don't do it often enough that I can memorize what they all do. And, and that's why they always they always get me every time. You were saying that that was your last one there, right? We have two more here. Okay, fire away. What is the difference between executing colon Q versus colon Q bang in VI? Colon this Q is actually one that I'm surprised that I know. Go ahead. The uh, bang at the end forces it to quit even if it's not saved. That is correct. Yeah, same here. Uh, in the past couple of months, I've been trying to use it, and uh, that's why I actually knew this one. I wouldn't have known a couple of months ago. Yeah, the la last question is, what does it mean to put VI into a, into command mode? Well, I guess um, with VI, there's there's two modes. You can be in editing mode and then command mode, which is, you know, normally you do the uh, colon. And instead of, um, you know, you typing like text, you're going to say, okay, quit or save or, or read in another file. And, and that's when you're in command mode. You can also delete a character uh, in command mode as well. Real quick, I want to say, those people that might be listening along uh, now or in the near future, you know, over the course of practicing for your LPI and just doing the, the little text editing that's required to try examples and uh, learn it, uh, you probably want to take on VI now. Just start with the basics, because if you start now with it, it's going these these. If you're not familiar with VI and are not sure how easy these questions are, these are very easy. And and it seems to be that if you were to take the course, the, the, the do use VI as your prime, you know, as your as your editor, in all caps if necessary, then you will you those questions are going to be gimme. Those questions on VI are going to be giving. These are not complex, difficult questions in regard to VI. These are something that you know, you know by heart and soul if you've been using VI. So if you're not using it yet, you might want to consider doing so. 
And here again, uh, I found that starting with VI, it's very smart to have a cheat sheet. And what I literally did is I, I downloaded a PDF with all the commands printed out on a piece of paper and had it beside my keyboard. And that's how I navigated the whole thing. And what I found is I'm by no way very fast at using VI, but I found that it, VI is not as hard to use as I initially thought, because I thought all these commands, I'm screwed. I'm never going to learn this. But with that cheat sheet beside me, it actually is pretty intuitive of how it works and doesn't take very long. And you got the basic commands to get around and then and you're all set. Okay, seeing that we've wrapped up um, the review questions, I guess uh, what I'm going to do is open back the floor up and uh, just sort of discuss where we are in terms of uh, what people thought of the first couple of chapters. Is this a good pace? Uh, you know, some of the hurdles that they had to overcome. Any thoughts? I'm going to say that uh, where I'm going to have to do go back and study a little bit more is the whole variable situation as far as uh, how they react to in, environmental variables and uh, shell variables and how to set them and, and play around with them. I've always, that's always been a weak spot for me in the Linux uh, operating system. But yeah, definitely, I think we're going at a good pace here. Uh, I was reading the roadmap. Uh, if this is kind of the chunk that we're going to do every week, I think that's, for me anyway, that's perfectly digestible. I can read the, that one or two chapters pretty easily, even three chapters in a week. I think this is a perfect pace for me. Hey, I just want to uh, repeat um, for some of the people who came late that the um, just, you know, I came early, really early. <laughs> I guess I got the time mixed up. But I went to um, penguintutor.com uh, and took that sample uh, LPI 101 test and it just sort of let me know, like, some of the things that I really needed to or sort of, like, brush up on. Because I think the thing is, there, there's some some of the things that you don't use all the time, and so you just tend to forget about them. But things that you do use all the time, they're just, like, they're there for you. So that that's a good resource. I'm going to put that link back in the, um, back in the forum just in case somebody didn't have that. Yeah, definitely. Put it on the the sheet as well. And uh, once I clean up those notes, uh, I'll I'll publish those as well. Sounds good to me. Uh, one thing that I, I I'll volunteer to do is uh, on question. Let's see, number fifteen. What what I'll try to do is I'll try to work up some examples of uh, regular expressions to sort of maybe try to. Um, get down to the bottom of that question because I've been playing with it uh you know just just you know afterwards because you know like I said I don't use regular expressions that much so the more that I work with it the better you know it 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 comes to me and uh I'll just whip up some examples and and put that out on, I guess on Google Docs I appreciate that verbal that would be great Thank you for listening to Hack Republic Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.